welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right. I have never done anything like this before, so I pray that you are believing God with me. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say anything even close to this before. Um, not that I think that I'm in ten- tenuous territory or anything like that, but... Uh, this is, the, the journey that the Lord took me on on this has been really radical for me. And so I, I pray that I can take you on that same journey because uh, those of you that know me uh, deeply, that know me intimately, know that there is absolutely no person that I wouldn't lay down any part of my life at any moment if I knew that it would legitimately benefit them. And I know a lot of people probably don't believe that or don't think that because you have a peripheral opinion of me, but I, that's fine. I'm secure in who I am, but it, it's really real. Like, I, there is nothing that I wouldn't walk away from if I knew that it would benefit your life. There's nothing I wouldn't give. There's nothing I wouldn't do. And it, Jesus is way more than me. And that's why I really... It really bothers me when people think, like, I don't know if Jesus would heal me or if he would do that for me because... And I'm like, man, I barely know you. And I'd do anything for you. Jesus really, really knows you. And you think that he wouldn't do it for you? It's shocking to me how little we truly understand the nature and the character of God. His goodness, his love for us. The whole plan of salvation, the whole plan of the gospel, the entire Bible is within the parameters and the context of God loves us so much that there is not anything that he's willing to do to get us. And then you wonder if he'll heal your headache? If he'll help your finances? Are you for real? He'll save your eternal soul? But you don't know if he'll help you with your marriage? This is only the effect of the deception of our world, telling you that God is very distant and you are very unworthy. Not you, not yet. That's the world. Not you, not yet. Someone else, maybe sometime, not you, not yet. God says, I am. That's you. That's now. If you believe that, It's for you, and it's for now. So one of the things that I hope to unravel a little bit today is, why do some folks manifest the things of God, and some folks don't? And by manifest, I'm really purposeful with that word, because there's not a single person in here that's not healed. Because it's the stripes of Jesus that healed you. So you're healed. Well, I feel terrible and my arm hurts and, and I lost a leg last night on the way to bed. And it doesn't matter. You're still healed. You might not be manifesting your healing, but you're healed. 
You're forgiven. Well, I don't feel forgiven. I don't care how you feel. I really don't. Neither does God, to tell you the truth. He don't care how you feel. He didn't come to save your feelings. He came to save you. And you are not your feelings. And I know that just offended a ton of people. But you are not your feelings. Well, I feel like. I don't care what you feel like. Jesus don't care what you feel like. Because feelings are supposed to be fruits. And we live in a society that feelings are God's. What a lie. If your God is feelings, dear Jesus, just go ahead and lay down and let us torture you now. Because your life is going to be terrible. Feelings are supposed to be fruits. You know what that means? Tomorrow morning when I wake up, I can guarantee you I'm going to be happy. Well, you can't say that. What happens if something bad happens? I'm not affected by what happens. My circumstances don't control. I'm not under the circumstances. Well, I am. Okay. Well, whenever you get done being under there, God said that you're supposed to be a, you're supposed to rule and reign. That you're supposed to be the head and not the tail. You're supposed to be above and not beneath. Well, that's just a Bible verse. I know. Just like Matthew 18.20 that says that where Jesus, Jesus is in the room where two and three are gathered together in his name. Well, I mean, you just can't believe everything in the Bible. Right, we pick and choose. There are people in here that believe you're saved. Crazy. You've got no evidence of any kind. You, you didn't get some, some piece of paper document on really old parchment signed by God the Father that floated down out of heaven when you said, Lord, be my Lord. You didn't get an angel that came by in a USPS truck and deliver you the official invitation to heaven at the end of your life. You didn't get some tattoo that magically like showed up on your forearm that gave you your heaven number. You believe it because the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So you believe... Something you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. You have no evidence of it. You believe it simply because the Bible says so. And I say, by his stripes you're healed. Well, you see, Pastor. I say, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus Philippians 4:19 and you're going to say well i mean you know god can't do nothing about my money god can't do nothing about these symptoms you don't understand i've had these symptoms for 5 minutes 5 years 50 years god can't do i know It's not like he could create a universe in six days. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is commonly referenced as the Sermon on the Mount. Some of the most famous places in all of Scripture. And this is going to be the first time you've ever heard a preacher, likely, show you the Sermon on the Mount's purpose was to get people to manifest 
the finished work of the cross that Jesus had for them. You've never heard a preacher say this? I've never heard a preacher say this. Matthew chapter 4 begins with Jesus kicking the devil's tail. That was a great place for a way to go, Jesus. Amen. Sick him, brother, big brother. Kick his nasty butt. Like, you could, I mean, there's a hundred opportunities for you right there. We'll, we'll pretend like you're so engaged with what I'm saying that you didn't hear what I was saying. So I'll start over. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, it is Jesus kicking the devil's butt. And then, and then uh, verse 11 says, And the devil leaves him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Uh, when you, the scriptures say that when you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. I've had about 18 people this week. Tell me all the things the devil was doing. <laughs> I know you're thinking like, oh, sucks for them because you probably gave it to them, didn't you? No, I was really kind and gracious. I'm like, oh, God bless you. Because a lot of people don't give you permission to actually tell them the truth. They just want to whine and complain. They want somebody to listen. Um, but some people, God bless them, are actually grown up and mature enough where they come to me and they actually recognize the fact that I'm a shepherd and that I'm a minister and that I'm anointed by God. And they actually say, hey, this is going on in my life. What do you think? And some of those people actually want to know. Some of them just say that because they want to look holy. But some of them actually want to know, like, what can I do to fix these things? And I tell them. For example, if the devil's bothering you, the scriptures say, if you resist the devil, he'll flee. Well, I tried that. <laughs> oh, you tried it. Amen. Well, I can tell you this. If I came after you and you tried to resist me, that just means I win and it takes a little longer. But if you actually resist me, and there's no end to the resist, at some point, whatever I was trying to get from you, it just ain't worth it. I got stuff to do. Get hungry or tired or move on to someone else who's an easier target. The enemy works the same way. So if you're sitting here thinking about all the things that the devil's done to you, uh, there's two things. One, I'll tell you, A, you're probably not resisting. And B, why are you so unaware of all the things Jesus has done for you? Any hooser. Verse 12 says, And and when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Most people miss this, but this is such an incredible point. John the Baptist was the only other voice that was bringing truth to the people of God at that time. So Jesus took it all. When John got cast into into prison, that was kind of like the moment where it was like, it's all him. This is the only way that you were going to get the truth. Right in here, you could insert Luke 4, 18 and 19, where Jesus shows up into his hometown and he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to uh, set at liberty them that are bruised, to heal the brokenhearted, to open the eyes of the blind, 
to uh, do all these incredible, amazing things because Jesus was the beginning of what we call the Jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord. In between verse 11 and verse 12, that took place. And so when verse 12 gets here, it's like, and John the Baptist went away. So it was like, this is it. It is premier Jesus, and he is anointed by God, and he is going <clears> to <throat> do these things in people's lives. And so how did he do it? How did Jesus get these truths into people's lives to where here we are 2,000 years later talking about the three and a half years, three and a half years that Jesus roamed around on this earth? 2,000 years later, we're talking about basically a guy that did stuff for three and a half years. Because the things that he did was so powerful, so supernatural, and so history-altering that you've even gathered here in his name in honor and respect for him. So I want to do that. Like, I want to take him from the pages of a history book, and I want to put him in the aisle next to you. In that empty chair next to you, Jesus is sitting there. Amen. And he wants to do today what he did then. Because Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he ever did it, he is doing it and will do it. Romans 2.11 also says that he is no respecter of persons. You know what that means? If you're the sorriest saint in the room, he'll do it for you. Right. Amen. Amen. We've got at least one sorry saint. Two right here. I'm a sorry saint. It doesn't matter. It's not based upon what I've done or what I could ever do. It's based upon what he did. And I'm going to show that to you. So Jesus, knowing that he could do anything for anyone, how did he get this into people's lives? We're going to see this amazing recipe of how Jesus did that. And I pray that you get this. Because if you get this, I tell you, if you get this, you are going to be the point zero 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 one percenters of people in the body of Christ. And I want that for you. I want you to have everything that pertains unto life and godliness through the great and precious promises that come to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what it says in First Peter chapter Second uh, Peter chapter one. And leaving Nazareth, verse thirteen, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali. Capernaum was home. He left. Mommy and Daddy's home. (laughs) I'm not going to go there. He left Mommy so that he could go and do what he was called to do. He went to Capernaum. He bought a house. For those of you that think that Jesus was some beggarly, you know, nest, uh, rat-haired, nested uh, hobo sleeping under a bridge. No, he bought a house, and it was a super nice house. It was so nice that he could minister to hundreds of people in his house, and when they got so excited about what he was ministering, they pulled the roof off, and they lowered someone down the roof. 
That was his house that that happened in. Jesus owned a house. I'll guarantee you, he didn't have a mortgage. Anybody? Amen? Oh, me? Mortgage, in the Latin, mortgage means death deed or pledge. Mortgage is where we get mortality, mortal, mortgage. It literally means a deed unto death. Amen. Makes you excited to pay that bill every month. Yay! I'm, it's only 30 years, Pastor. You know, that's the reason. And leaving that hometown, he went and started his ministry. This is headquarters in Capernaum. That it might be fulfilled. Check this out. Why? God is a God of purpose, and Jesus is God. Why? Because he just wanted to go live in the vacation. You know, it's like, well, I don't know. I want to go live in Galveston Island. It's kind of nice down there. they got a Waffle House. Uh, 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 That's where I want to be. It's not like Jesus is like, well, I don't know. Where do I want to live? He went where his prophetic destiny was. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And it goes on and tells us. The reason that he lived where he lived was because he honored the prophetic calling and destiny of his life more than his zip code. Man, I could tell you, Shundai. If more people of the body of Christ actually knew this, they would manifest 10,000 times the blessings of God. 10,000 times. But most people say, well, this is where I grew up. This is where I played football. I got all my football friends. This is where my favorite bar is. And not where your prophetic destiny is. But you don't understand. You should see the tax rates on the property that I have. Do you know about the school system, Pastor? I know. Before God sent me on my destiny, I made sure that I checked per square footage what the tax rate was and what kind of a school district they had. Or I didn't. And I went where God told me to go. Because where God tells me to go, it's actually going to work out to be the best. No matter what the tax rate, no matter what the school system, no matter what the people. If God tells you to go there, there is the best place you could ever possibly be. Jesus knew that. Jesus did that. He found himself in the prophetic. He found the scriptures that were specific for his life. And he moved his zip code to put his feet where his father needed his feet to be. And because of it, he had the power and the ability to do whatever was needful in the people's lives that he was called to touch. Verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. How cutesy. Man, we can put it on our shirt, because we really, really like to fish, and so we're going to make fun t-shirts that make it look like I'm fishing for men when I'm really fishing for fish. But I'm a Christian, and so i got to make it look right. Amen. And he said unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they thought about it for a while. And then they, they went back and talked to their wives. They prayed about it for a couple weeks. 
fasted. Because that's what, if you're a real Christian, you fast and pray. And by fasting, I mean you don't really do anything different except you watch one hour less of TV. And then they talk to, they talk to their financial counselors. And they went and talked to their boss. You know, what do you think about this idea of me going after this crazy, long-haired preacher? And then they talked to their, you know, they called their uncle and their aunt and grandma and grandpa because they obviously can tell you everything that you need to know about doing your life right because they've got it all figured out. And then they came back to Jesus and they said, you know, after, after much dissertation, after prayerful consideration... After four visitations from an angel, I put out three fleece, two were dry, one was wet, and now I've decided that I'll give you a try. I'm going to try out this church. I'm going to give this church a try. And if it works out, I'll let you know. I'll turn in a card. I'll go on Google and give you a good report. Well, God bless you with your gracious little heart. And he said unto them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Next verse. And they straightway. Would you like to know why the twelve had more going on in their life than most Christians? Here's recipe ingredient number one. When God said, they did. Most of us, not think about it for a while. Because you thinking about stuff always makes it better. Amen. We all know how smart you are. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately, uh, FYI, for those of you that are thinking, well, I mean, they were just out there chilling, fishing. They had a business that was so wealthy and successful that they had many boats and many employees. And they literally walked off their boat and into their destiny. And you won't quit your minimum wage job to do what the Lord told you to do. God bless you. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What series are we doing? Not today. King and kingdom. Jesus, King, went about all Galilee, the territory he was called to, teaching in their synagogue. Synagogue would be a local church. So he came to Beloved Church. Jesus went about all Lena, teaching at Beloved Church, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. This is what he did. And, so which was first? Teaching. Then, 
preaching, then manifest them. I'm going to do two of the three. You figure out which. And we'll see which one you do. And healing some of the manner of sicknesses and a couple of just the obscure diseases. What did I read it wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody know what all means in the Greek? All. Are you those crazy people that you think God can actually heal all sicknesses and all diseases? Who in the world invited you here? Must be some you. (laughs) Craig said you. I did. I invited Craig to church. (laughs) And he got wrecked. And his fame... Here's here's something funny. Most people want to be famous. Hey man, you can tell by the way they act on Facebook. (laughs) Look at this amazing post that I made. This should go viral. No, it's stupid. But it should go viral because stupid stuff goes viral. Great. So you're famous with stupid people. Way to go. I want to be his kind of famous. I want to be famous in heaven. Some people don't remember this, but uh, there were these seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter, I think it's Acts chapter 19, 17 or 19. And these seven sons of Sceva were trained how to do exorcisms. And they learned that one of the tactics to do an exorcisms was to use Jesus' name. It worked really good. And so these seven sons of Sceva go to do this exorcism on this dude that's really possessed. And so they stand over him and they say, We tell you to come out of this guy in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. <laughs> Amen. And the demon, I know this is messing with a bunch of people that don't think there's demons and angels and spirits and God and stuff. So for, if you ain't that person, if you actually believe there is this stuff. So this demon says... Hey, I know Paul, and I know Jesus. I don't know you. And then the demon-possessed dude jumped on all seven of them, stripped them naked, beat their tailbones, and sent them down the street. Amen. What do you think the neighbors would think if a bunch of people came running out of here naked? (laughs) Amen. When I was reading that story one time, and laughing, because it's funny... uh, The Lord said, Son, you know you're famous with me. And I'm like, I get it, Father, because you're willing to send Jesus to die for me. I understand. Like, the value that you have for me, I don't really calculate the way that you calculate it, but I get the concept that I'm famous with you because you desired me so much that you were willing to trade Jesus to get me. I get that. So he said, Son, you understand that you're famous in heaven. I said, I understand it to a degree. He goes, I want you to be famous in hell. Paul and Jesus were both famous in heaven and hell. Some of us are, all of us, are famous in heaven because Jesus died for you the way he died for me. But some of us are laughed at by hell. (laughs) 
And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching in the, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You know, here's something that struck me too. He was teaching in their synagogues. You know, people don't go to church anymore. Because I can have a personal relationship with God at home, in my prayer closet. Well, when Jesus went to go do all the stuff that the Father told him to do, you know where he went? To church. So, I know I'm talking to a bunch of people sitting in church. I get that. So I'll talk to the camera. All those folks in YouTube land that are sitting on your bum. You couldn't... Bum. Um, Jesus went to church. If you want to be like Jesus, you... If you want to not be like Jesus, you don't. This is really complicated, ain't it? We've got all this complication on the gospel. We wonder why we can't manifest the simple truths. Because we've mucked it up. Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him... And this all word is like... It's, it's almost like God is doing this pronounced thing. To try to let all the people that are reading these few verses know that, hey, all sickness, all disease, for all people. Amen. And, I, and there's still some people that are sitting in there, well, I know what it says, but... <laughs> Where you put your butt could be hazardous to your health. Amen. Amen. Where you put your butt could kill you. Or make it awesome. You could say, I have a sickness, but by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Or you could say, I know it says by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed, but I have a sickness. Where you put your butt will determine the quality of your life. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought in him all sick people that were taken, 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 taken. Sicknesses and diseases don't ask permission. Right. Amen. <laughs> this is why people don't get why God wants to manifest in their life. Because the way the sickness and disease came on you was it like came on you. And you're like, well, man, if the sickness and disease can just come on me, well, then why doesn't God just come on me and heal me? Because God don't work like Satan. And I hate to have to say that at a church. Sickness and diseases take. Okay. John 10.10 says that the enemy, the thief, comes to kill. Most of you know this. This is like the hinge of Scripture. The enemy comes to kill to steal and to destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Okay, listen. If, G- if the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy, that means you have to have something living for him to kill it 
You have to have something that you possess for him to steal it. And you have to have something constructed for him to destroy it. Satan knows more about the finished work of the cross in your life than you do. He can't steal what you don't have. <laughs> is, this, is this landing with some folks? Okay, please. If you're in poverty, if you're broke, that means that your wealth has been stolen. Because Deuteronomy 8.18, Pastor Ryan just talked about this this morning when we were praying. Deuteronomy 8.18 says it's God that gives you the power, the ability to create wealth. Create it. You're a creator. It's God that gave you that power. Well, I don't have wealth. Well, then there must be a thief that came in and stole it. So go get it back. I know I'm screaming, but I'm passionate about this stuff. Get it back. If I came into your house to steal your TV, I would have a rolling pin up against my head, a frying pan, a, a Louisville slugger, 9mm, depending on what kind, whether you believe in a constitution or not. There's a lot of things that would hinder me from getting your TV. Do you realize most people in this room, you have more commitment and value for your TV than you do for your health? For your finances? For your marriage? You know how many things come in and steal the intimacy between you and your spouse? And you just let them come. Honey, I don't want to talk right now. The game's on. Oh, dear Jesus. Do you see how quiet it was? Amen. Because baseball is better than bride. I'll move on. That that didn't resonate at all. And his fame, his fame, went throughout all Syria, and they brought in him all people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments. Torments. Anybody ever been tormented by things in life? Yeah, he paid for that too. And those that were possessed with devils. Well, that's just weird, people being possessed with devils and demons. I know, says the person possessed by a devil. You know, the first thing the devil does when he comes and possesses people is says, I'm not here. Don't look over here. I'm not controlling you. Why would he tell you, I am a demon, I am here to possess your life and to cause terrible destruction in you, so bow to me. The devil don't do it. He comes as an angel of light. Hey, I'm here to help you. I know that you're a biological male, but don't you feel like a girl? Well, now that you mention it, I really didn't until you said it. Okay. Amen. That's how the enemy works. He shows up as something good. Hey, you know, that whole working for a living... You know, that the Bible says that if you don't work, you don't eat. That's stupid. You know what we should do? We should create a society where everybody gets to sit on their couch and food just shows up, UPS. And we'll give you a mandated income. And you don't have to worry about it. Everybody gets the same car, everybody gets the same house, everybody gets the same job, everybody gets the same food. Everybody, it's, every, it's, it's equal for everybody. Yay, flowers. Right? That's great. Because that whole working for a living, that's for the stiffs. 
Stupid. Do I get a free cell phone? Yeah, we'll give you one of those if you'll shut up. Okay, I'll take one. That's how the enemy works. Doesn't that sound great? You don't have to work. You get money, you get food, you get a house. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Okay, we'll sign here. They were possessed by devils. And most people read this stuff and they say, man, there was a lot of devils back in Jesus' day. I know, they all disappeared. (laughs) Well, I believe that there's devils and demons, but it's usually just in Africa with the witch doctors. I know. You know why you think that is because in America, people that are possessed by devils and demons, you know what we do? We medicate them. Take a pill. In fact, if that pill doesn't do it, we'll give you five or six because you might have five or six demons and so we give you five or six pills to stop you from killing yourself. Because that's normal. Life is the most precious, valuable thing ever. You realize that it has to be demonic for something to happen in a person to say your life is invaluable, you are worth nothing, you should kill yourself. That is straight up demonic. And if you showed up at a hospital and you said, hey, I feel like killing myself, you know what they'd say? Well, man, take two of these pills. And if they don't kill you, call us and tell us how you're doing. Because I I know people that have gone to the hospital, suicidal, got pills, came home and killed themselves. Because the pills were the wrong pills. And you know what the doctors say? (laughs) Whoops! I know, it makes you feel better when a doctor says whoops. And those that were possessed with devils, and those that were lunatic. Well, how do you heal a lunatic? Well, you can't. You put them in a padded room and you hope they don't, like, bite through the walls. Or, you take them to Jesus. The world's healing of a lunatic is to lock him in a padded room. (laughs) Jesus gets rid of the lunacy. Amen. That should bless you. If you think there's a lot of lunacy in your world, you need Jesus. And those that had the palsy, and he healed them. You know, healed them applies to palsy, lunatic, possessed, tormented, and diseased. I hope you follow this. He healed all of these different things. He didn't do one thing for the possessed, one thing for the lunatic, one thing for the palsy, one thing for the tormented. He did one thing. Healed. So whatever you got, healed. Okay, for those of you that have been around for a while, does anybody know what one of the words in the New Testament is for healed? Sozo. It's saved. Saved. Healed. Delivered. When Jesus comes to save, He saves to the uttermost. You don't have to get saved and then 20 years later get healed. You can just get saved. Or you can wait. I mean, it's up to you. Maybe you're not ready for the whole thing coming in. You just don't want heaven totally invading your life all at once. I'll just, just a little dab will do me, Lord. 
Just, just give me one cup full today. And then I'll take another cup next year. And the Lord will say, okay, I just want to get a cup in your life. Or you can jump in the ocean. Whoa, 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 that's a lot of water all at once. All right. This is the part where it gets dicey. Are you all believing with me? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So we go from this, basically this overstatement. So he did all of these amazing, supernatural, miraculous, powerful things. How? Teaching, preaching, demonstrating. So we know that he did all of these amazing things, and we know how he did it. He taught, he preached, he demonstrated. So then we go right into it taking place. Sermon on the Mount. Taught. Preached. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus getting people to change their way of thinking, repenting, repenting. I know, it's a cuss word. And a bunch of people, whoa, 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 easy preacher. Don't say that word more than twice. And say it to someone else, because that's not for me. The word repent is metaneo in the Greek. Meta means to change, like metamorphosis. Meta, neo. Neo is the center of the thinking. The center, not the peripheral, the center of the thinking. So to change the center of your thinking is repentance. Now the church preaches penitence. Which is, you're a terrible person, you need to beat yourself up for being terrible. And if you beat yourself up good enough, God will say, ah, that's good. That's evil. That's wicked. God is not the punisher. God is the discipler, the father, the corrector. He corrects through his word, and you receive it by repentance. So the way repentance gets into you is God comes to you and He shows you things that are different than the way you see it. I do this all the time with the people that I personally disciple. I ask them questions on purpose to make them think in a way that they've never thought. Because if it's their thought and they embrace it, then they have the chance of changing their thinking. But if it's my thought and they embrace it, then all they've done is allowed themselves to be manipulated by peer pressure. And most of us don't know how to learn the other way. Because nearly everything in our life is peer pressure. The world comes to you and says, do this, do this, do this, or else you won't be the cool kid. Right? Everybody went to, am I the only one that went to high school? Are all y'all dropouts? I went to high school, and in high school, you woke up, and the only intention that you had all day long was to be cool. And you'll know if you failed, because they'll write it on the lockers. Steve's not cool. Uh. (laughs) And then you cry, not in front of them, because then you're even less cool. Go home and cry, because you're in high school. That's the whole purpose of life, is to get you to conform to their way. It says in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Jesus spends three chapters showing people how to transform. Now check this out. These three chapters take between three and five days. 
And the people that came to hear what he had to say, some of them came two and three days. So there are people in this crowd that spent at least 11 days to hear these things. And some of you have had a Bible on your shelf and have never read these three chapters in your life. And there are people in this crowd that, that invested 11 days of their life to get the same thing that you don't give a rip about. Now do you know why some people get healed and some people don't? That's the difference. That's the difference. These folks, at a minimum, at a minimum invested three days of their life to hear truth that would transform them and bring them to the opportunity of manifesting healing. I can't get people to go to church for two hours. Three days, we can't do two hours. Well, unless you're watching a movie, then you can do three hours. Or unless you're playing a game on your phone, then you can do four hours. Or if you're playing Fortnite, then you can do 40 hours in a row. And pee in a bottle next to you, because you don't want to get up. But actually listening to Jesus... I mean, that is a total waste of time. It's only Jesus. Like, I can read the Bible anytime. Right? Three days of hearing truth directly from the Master, from the true one, and they allowed it to change their lives. And then, Matthew 8.17 says, that he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. We're going to get there. But I want to go through this. And I want to show you the Lord teaching and preaching what was necessary for people to be healed. Would you, would you love to hear what Jesus taught and preached? Yeah. To get... Yeah. Holy smoke. I totally didn't expect that. And it shook me a little bit. I, I believe there's going to be some manifestation. Okay. Okay, I'm going to... I told Mitchell came, because I usually give him my scriptures, uh, what I'm going to minister on. And so he, he always comes and finds me before service. And he's like, hey, do you have any notes for me? And I'm like, um, yeah, so there's five chapters? Yeah, he looked at me the same way, like, oh, crap. <laughs> okay, so there goes lunch. <laughs> No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to do it good. Say amen, Pastor. Okay. Okay, Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters. At least three days. At the end of this, manifestation all over the place of the power of God. First thing he started with, the Beatitudes. He started with letting people know what you need to embrace to be blessed. The word blessed means empowered to prosper. So, if you have acknowledged at any point in your life that you are poor in spirit, God wants to empower you to prosper. If you've ever embraced any of the negative sides of these beatitudes, 
then what He wants to do is come into your life with these truths and empower you to prosper to the other side of it. In the Beatitudes, you have like the bad and then empowered to prosper the good. So the first thing He starts with is letting you know that you're empowered to prosper because He is teaching and preaching to you the kingdom. Remember, that's what He said. He came and preached and taught and healed because it was the kingdom that had come close to them. This was a kingdom message. The Sermon on the Mount is a kingdom message. And so he's saying, there's a kingdom coming, and in this kingdom that's coming, you're blessed. Well, I don't feel blessed. Well, I don't care. You're blessed. <laughs> Ephesians 1.3 says that you have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Well, see, preacher, it's in heavenly places. Well, so is one third of you. Right. You're raised and seated with Him in heavenly places. Colossians 1.27 So you are in heaven where every blessing is in your spirit. And so if you need blessing, just tell your spirit to give it to you. Yeah. Because it's already in heaven, and the blessings are in heaven, so what else do you need? Well, no, I need that man of God to lay hands on me, and then I'll be blessed. It don't work that way. (laughs) Selah. The next thing he talks about is salt and light. You're the salt. You're the light. You are. You are the salt and the light. The next thing he talks about is your identity. What is in you and what you are is greater than what is in the world and what they have. Has anybody ever seen light come and darkness come and then they wrestle it out and then eventually the darkness like, ha, gotcha. Anybody ever seen that? No. You, what happens when light and darkness come into the same vicinity? Darkness, darkness is absolutely obliterated. Yeah. Who's the light? We are. So you're the light. Yeah. So everywhere you go, there's light. Well, no, because I went into this one place and it was really spiritually dark. And I could feel the darkness. Said no light ever. Amen. Amen. Light's not flying around going, Woo! It's really dark right here. Dark. No, light's like, Where's the dark? 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 Amen. Light moves at 386,000 miles a second. 386,000 miles a second. I don't know how fast the devil is, but he's at least 387,000 miles a second to get away from light. So all you got to do is be light, and the devil's like, (laughs) Salt. You know what salt does? It dries up snails. (laughs) Amen. The devil's like a snail. Pour some salt on his sorry butt. Shrivel him up. It's fun. I I had a weird childhood. (laughs) Salt preserves. It makes it last a long time. Salt um, adds flavor. You should be adding flavor to our world. Yes. A bunch of you add flavor to my life. I'm blessed. 
last night I was trying to go to sleep and I was thinking about you. And I was like, Father, what did I do to deserve these people in my life? The people in my lap had so much flavor. So much flavor. And some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Because you don't have these connections. You don't have these people. you got all those fake people in your life. Fake. Plastic. People in your life. And so what I'm saying is so foreign. But it's so normal in the kingdom. So normal. The next thing is, Jesus fulfills the law. Why is that necessary for people to be healed? Because it's the law telling you why you're sick. You did this. You think like this. You did this that one time. And so therefore, you're defiled. The law says, not you, not yet. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. And the cool thing about the law is that it's really good on showing you all the bad. Not one time has the law, the Ten Commandments ever came and said, Man, you're great. You ain't never adulterated. You, You ain't never had the law come to do that. When the law comes and says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And you're like, Oh, Jesus said a thought towards another woman. Oh, I'm an adulterer. Oh, I'm terrible. Jesus says, Hey, The law is perfect and holy and just, but I overcame the law. I will be your purity. I'll beat the law for you. Jesus, for me? Yeah, for you. But I can try really hard. I bet you I can beat it. No, 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 Steve, you don't understand. You ain't going to beat it. Okay, I'll let you beat it. Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't come to make it non-essential. We need to know that it's important to not cheat on our spouses. Uh, Two amens? Is there two married people? We need to know that it's not good to not cheat on our spouses. That was three knots. So is that a triple? Is it? Did I just negate it? Did I make everybody confess the wrong thing? Or do, do we all understand? The next thing is anger and reconciliation. Jesus said, you've heard them say at the old time, thou shalt not kill. Whoever I tell you, that if you're angry with anybody, you know what this is? It's unforgiveness. It's you thinking that you've got to take care of all the justice in your life. Well, I'm going to tell that person, oh, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. You know, one of the reasons that you're stupid is because you gave so many people pieces of your mind, you ain't got much left. You, I, I, didn't, I didn't look at... I, I don't. I didn't. That that wasn't personal. I was. I. It was a generic statement. I don't want someone to say. Pastor called me stupid and looked right at me. No. He he's saying that if you become the judge of all the people, if you think that you have anger with a cause, you are going to block what God wants to do in your life. Verse 26, Barely I say unto you, you shall by no means come out thence until you have paid the uttermost farthing. And I know that sounds King Jamesy, but it means that if you put someone in prison with your anger, with your unforgiveness, you actually put yourself there. 
That's exactly what Jesus is saying. So if you want to be free, you have to not be in debt to anyone else by unforgiveness, anger, judgment. The next thing is adultery. I know. What has that got to do with healing? Because sexual purity kills you. Or impurity. (laughs) And Bob said right. So we know who the fornicator is. (laughs) Sexual impurity. You got to be careful when you preach. You say the wrong thing, people are like, Amen! Wait! (laughs) Sexual impurity kills you. There's a whole chapter in the New Testament, New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it also goes in chapter 7, that tells you if you get into sexual impurity, it kills you. It kills your physical body. Kills you. Is that clear? Why did Jesus get into adultery? Because he wanted to get people to the place where they could manifest the kingdom. You know what's in the kingdom? Beautiful marriages. Trust. Trust. I would trust Kay. I don't care how many stripper people, guys. What are they called? Um, It doesn't matter. I don't care how many you put around her. I, say, I tell people this all the time. You can, I could be sitting in my office completely alone in our house and there could be a prostitute with a plate of cocaine that shows up at my front door and I'm shutting the door. There's no, I have zero temptation to another woman and a plate of cocaine. I'm dead to it. But because I'm dead to it, I don't have to worry about those things. You know, I will never have to worry about for the rest of my life an STD. Ever. Never, ever, ever, ever. I never have to worry about Kay bringing it home because I know how she is. She loves me. I mean, if you're married to this, I mean, what else do you want? (laughs) And then the next thing he talked about was divorce. Well, you'd think that he covered it in adultery. No, because some people think that they're justified to split stuff. If you think you're, you're justified to split stuff then you're going to split your life also. And so it's going to be hard to manifest the power of God in your life if you're able to split it, or what I call compartmentalize. If you say, well, my finances are over here, and the way that my finances work is i got to go to work and get a job and do the investment and do all the natural things. So God, that's not you, that's just me, this is how I do finances. Okay, so my health is, I'm going to eat all the right vitamins and drink green stuff, and I'm going to run a lot, and I'm going to, and that's my health. And so God, you don't need to worry about that. But over here, one day I want to go to heaven, I'll give you that compartment, God. And God will take it, whatever compartment you give him. Or he can say, hey, you know, I'll take all this. Really? Yeah, I'll actually take it all. Like, I can, I can fix your finances. I can fix your body. I can, I can do a great job with your marriage. I invented marriage. I'm the one that put the first people together. Well, that's, that's interesting. So can, I, can you take care of all of this and it would be good? Well, I'm a good God. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So if it's good, it's me. Well, okay, then you can have it. Well, okay, I'll take it. And then he goes into vows. That's the next thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, you've heard it said of them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. 
verse 33. So he deals with the commitment of your mouth. Yeah, I know. That scared me to death. You might want to check your tongue. Because every word that comes out of your mouth... So Jesus had to deal with their words. Because we're not the only generation that talks dumb. We talk dumb. All the time. God wants you to not talk dumb. He wants you to talk God. It says in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Every word that comes out of your mouth should be the oracles of God. Thank God. Thank God some of you don't have the power of God on your lips. Because when you say, you know, that, that Jeff, he's such a jerk, I wish he'd die. You, you realize if God said that, that's why some of you don't have power on your lips. So when you walk up to someone suffering with a sickness and disease, you say, pain, I curse you in the name of Jesus. And pain says, <laughs> whatever, you just tried to curse Jeff. You're going to curse me? But if I say, Jeff, you are blessed, you are highly favored, you are a man of God. That is exactly what the scriptures say about you. Jeff says, I receive it. Then I walk over here. You have a pain? Yeah, I do have a pain. Pain, I curse you in the name of Jesus. I command you to get out because this is a child of God. Pain says, woo, this guy knows what his words are about. Amen. Then Jesus goes into loving your enemies. Yay! That's our favorite part. Love your enemies. Okay. You know, we... We struggle to love our spouse. And then, God forbid, we actually love our neighbor. But love our enemies. Jesus! You don't know who's my enemy. I know, if he was only smart enough to know what you were going to deal with in your life and the people that were going to be in your life. How dare him tell you to love your enemies? It's not like he ever suffered wrongfully, was wrongfully accused of stuff. It's not like he was, he was bar, uh, uh, taped to a pole and beat with a whip. It's not like he was hung on a cross to die for, nobody, for somebody else's guilt. It's not like he had terrible things happen to him. If he, if he knew what I was going through, if he knew what those people said about me on Facebook, he would totally let me be mad. And then he ends that chapter with, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Be ye perfect. I can't be perfect. Why would he tell you to do something you can't do? You, you, you realize that's me. It's me. Which means if he's telling you that you can be this way, and it's not perfect as in uh, perfect the way you're thinking, it actually means full-grown, fully mature. You can be full-grown, fully mature if you allow these things that he just said change you. Then verse uh, chapter 6 is, let me, let me just kind of quickly summarize 6. Anybody say amen? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> let me quickly summarize 6. Money. Amen. That's our favorite subject at church. Right? We, we love it when the preacher tells us how to do our money. Because he wants it all. Greedy preacher. Okay, i tell you what. Let's pretend, let's all pretend, that I'm, ex- I'm talking to people that I love. 
and that nobody in this room is in charge of my finances, nor is my God that provides my finances. Okay, let's all pretend. I know it's going to be hard for you, so let's all pretend. I love you, and I don't give a rip what you do with your finances other than I love you because it's my Father that takes care of me. So I don't want your money. Okay? Are we all pretending together? Okay. Stay pretending. If you do your money God's way, you give God opportunity to manifest His promises in your life. If you don't do your money God's way, then you've told God that the least part of your life, your money, is not to be touched by Him. And then you want Him to touch your body. For real? He can't touch your money, and you want Him to heal your body. He can't heal your finances but you want him to heal your body. No, I'm sorry. You, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so if you can't give God your money, do you think you can give him your soul? Do you think you can give him your eternity? Are you for real? Do what? <laughs> I, thought you were, I thought she was like casting her voice at me. <laughs> her lips weren't moving and she was saying stuff. I'm like... Come out! (laughs) Okay, chapter 6. Money. You read it. That that way I don't say something and you're like, ah, stupid Steve with his money talk. I I won't say nothing. You read chapter 6. For the most part, chapter 6 is, you either trust God with your money, or you don't. Which means... You either trust God or you don't. It's quiet, so we'll go to seven. Don't judge. (laughs) Do you not? It's fun reading the scriptures. If you don't know the Bible, this is why you don't. This is why you don't have these things in your life, because you don't know the Bible. Like, this is the greatest movie ever, it's the greatest drama ever, it's the greatest teaching ever, it's the great... If you don't know the scriptures, like, you're missing this whole massive part of reality. So, it says, don't judge. And specifically tells us what he means, because most people know verse 1. And then they take a big magic marker and they scribble through the rest of chapter 7. The rest of chapter 7 is to tell you how to judge the right way. Specifically, right at the very end of don't judge, he says you need to make sure that if you go to somebody that's got a speck in their eye, that you don't have a beam in their eye. And then he gets through all of that. That's, you know, everybody knows that part, but then does, does anybody know what is right at the end of going the speck and the beam and all that kind of stuff? That at the very end of it, he says, and don't cast your pearls before swine. Amen. It's like talk about judging some folks. She called me a pig, Jesus. Are are you following me? If it's don't judge, then who could be a swine? Doesn't that sound like judgment? You're supposed to judge righteous judgment. You're supposed to see things the right way. Everybody in here judges. I hope, I hope when you get to the, to the, uh, stop, the four-way stop at the inter- Is it okay? <laughs> I don't want you, I don't want to be yelled at again. If, I hope when you get to the four-way stop that you judge. Okay, I walk. I walk between five and, and sometimes ten miles a day. And so I walk a lot. 
And I've got news for you. Every intersection I come to, when there's a car there, I judge. I judge whether they're on their phone. I judge whether they're actually coming to a stop. I judge whether they're, they're waving at me with one finger. I judge, there's a lot of things that I judge in that moment. I'm judging, but I'm judging righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is don't go across the street because they're on their phone listening to music, music really loud. They're not slowing down very much. Same thing, I can come into someone's life and say, hey, you're doing some things in your life. You're not paying attention to the direction of your life. You're not slowing down to the yield sign. And there's a person in the road that you're about to run over. Hey, don't do that. Well, don't you dare judge me, preacher. How dare you judge me? Okay, fine. Run the kid over, go to prison. You know what I'll do? I'll come visit you in prison. And I'll say, hey. (laughs) Probably shouldn't have ran over the... Shut up. So then he deals with judgment. Why do you have to deal with judgment? Because you have to understand how to judge. Why? Because if you judge yourself unrighteously, even though Jesus has come into your life, he is not going to have permission to manifest healing because you've judged yourself unworthy. Why did he deal with judgment? Because this is such a major part of our lives. We are so quick to negatively judge ourselves and others that when Jesus comes and says, you're righteous and truly holy, and because of my blood and because of the stripes on my back, I have judged you worthy of healing. And the average Christian says, no, I'm not worthy. Not me. Not yet. Don't judge yourself incorrectly. A lot of this chapter is dealing with judgment. And then Matthew 8. So he gets done with the Sermon on the Mount. He spends three days, three to five days, pounding all these truths into all these people. Get this, get this, get this, get this. Be blessed. Understand your identity. Learn how to work your finances. Understand how to not carry unforgiveness and anger and judgment towards people. Get your life sorted. Make sure your soul is prospering. Because I've got something for you. And then one of these crazy people that came to this guy's preaching, long-haired, weirdo preacher, showing up, going up on a mountain, preaching for three days in a row, like, dear Lord, shut up, that's long enough. And one of these crazy people that sticks through the entire meeting is a leper. A leper, an actual sick person, not like COVID, not fake sick, a real sick Leprosy, which kills you, eats your body alive, has a 100% communicable rate, has a 100% mortality rate. Leprosy. A real, legitimate, terribly, painfully sick person sticks through three days of teaching and preaching in the hot sun, nowhere to sleep, no Hilton hotel room, no porta-potties. Sticks through three days of meetings as a leper. Maybe a body part literally falls off while he's preaching. And the leper comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me whole. If you will, you can make me whole. You know what he understood? What 95% of the people in this room understand. God can 
But I'm not sure God will. I doubt if anybody... If you stumbled in here and you didn't know that we believe in the miraculous and the supernatural, God bless you. I'm sorry that you got drug in here. Whoever cheated you, get your money back. But we're those kind of people that actually believe if God did it in the Bible, that God actually did it. Which means if God did it, He can do it. So we believe that. I know, crazy. So we're those kind of people. We believe that God is a miraculous God. I have seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen cancers. I've seen tumors fall off of people. We've seen the dead raised. We've seen, I've seen all kinds of amazing supernatural things. So I know God can. But do I know in each instance if God will? This leper listened to all this. Got his life sorted. And got faith inspired on the inside of him from the teaching and the preaching that Jesus had. And he came and he says, Lord, I believe you can. But will you? So if you're in this room, and this is stirring faith on the inside of you for wherever you're at. And you're thinking, you know what? I think this Jesus, I think he can. I think that he really has the heart. He has the ability that He really is God. I believe that He can. But I don't know if He will for me. So let the Lord answer your question. In the next verse, Jesus said, I will. Do you know what qualifications He put on there? This was a dirty... Filthy, stinking, smelly, sinner, leper. And he will. If you're, a, if you're born again, you realize that you're better than John the Baptist. Jesus specifically said the greatest person that ever was born of a woman was John the Baptist. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. So if you're the least saint in here, if you got born again and screwed up every day since, you're better than John the Baptist. If you're better than John the Baptist, you're better than this leper. So if he will for this leper... He will for you. He manifested this leper's healing immediately. Because just the I will was enough for this leper to get it. So is it enough for you? Jesus is here. Two or three are gathered. Jesus is here. On the inside of you, if you're in your heart, you're saying, I don't know if he will. Let this be your answer. I will. And immediately, immediately, he was whole. Immediately. Please rise. I want to bless you. 
Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health, prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you, and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.